When you're sliding in the home and your shirts are full of foam, <laughs> diarrhea, diarrhea. <laughs> when you're sitting in your Chevy and your shirts yeah. are feeling heavy, diarrhea, diarrhea. Kevin, honey, where'd you learn that song? Last summer at camp, Mom. Ah, oh, that was money well spent. My name is Todd. And this is Kathy. Uh, welcome to the very first episode of a podcast called Pop Culturing. Yes. Sweetie, what, why, why, <laughs> why in the world did we decide to do a second podcast? Because we do another podcast, for those of you guys who don't know, called Zen Parenting Radio. Why would we decide to do Pop Culturing? So <clears throat> we've been doing Zen Parenting Radio for eight years. Is that possible? Eight years, almost nine years. And one of the things that we love to do on Zen Parenting Radio is talk about the movies we love, the songs we love, the books we love, and relate it to everyday life. Well, we decided we wanted to focus more, even heavier on the pop culture aspect of, you know, our lives. Yeah, I always feel like I have to like bring in some lessons on Zen parenting and maybe we won't have as many lessons here. I say let's keep with the lessons. Stay lessons, but <laughs> heavier on the movie stuff. Yes, because this is really what Todd and I talk. I mean, we always talk about deep stuff too, but you know, Todd and I love pop culture. We love movies. And in this podcast, Pop Culturing, we discuss our favorite movies and how they impact our lives. We reference television, songs, books to demonstrate how pop culture can inspire us and keep us connected. So really, if you listen to Zen Parenting, it's similar in that we find like the goodness in the things we're able to watch, even sometimes challenging movies, right. you know, like you find the threads of goodness, you find the inspiration or you find the lessons or the teaching. And we do that. But we also sometimes just love really dumb quotes. Yeah, we, we love um, really funny scenes. Mm -hmm. So we are going to focus on movies in pop culturing and a specific movie today and next week. Should we, let's do the reveal for next week or next let's time we Let's just post. do today, and then we'll do that at the end. Okay. we got to keep them... What's the name of the movie that we're going to be talking about today, sweetie? Well, if you listen to the beginning of the podcast, you may know that scene um, is from a movie called Parenthood. So Parenthood came out... 1989. Huh. That was the year I graduated from high school, I'm just Todd. making that up. I don't know if that's true. No, that can't be. It's not that um, old. I'm on IMDb right now. 1989. Wow. Wow, I'm good. So I was 18 years old when that movie came out. And you know what's funny is that I remember thinking how old those parents looked. And Steve Martin is supposed to be 35 years old in that movie. Right. And he was 45 when he decided to, when he played the role. So, so people was... are like, why is this old guy playing this dad? <laughs> But as when I was 18, I didn't think about it much. To me, 35 was 45. Yeah, 35 is kind of old. Now that I'm 47. Right. Now that's a, like light years away. But now we're, now we're like grandparents age, sweetie. So but basically. Um, so basically, the reason that Todd and I wanted to choose Parenthood as our first movie that we're going to focus on is I don't know. Okay. I think the reason that I came up with or that I suggested it or maybe we suggested it at the same time, we tend to argue about who suggests things first. Did I suggest this first? I will give you this one as long as you give me what we decided to name our youngest daughter. No, I can't do that. So okay. now, interestingly enough, our youngest daughter is named Skylar. Yeah. And she was- I came up with that. No, she was named after Skylar in Goodwill Hunting. Yes. Because we saw the movie, loved and the I name. And I said to myself, wow, what a great name if we ever have a daughter. 
right, sweetie? Oh, I don't recall. I, I By the way, it, I say sweetie a lot. Sorry about that. For those of you guys get annoyed at like mushy face, what's the Seinfeld? You're schmoopy. You're schmoopy. Right. So I, I'll try to curb that. So I'm I, well, sorry. Well, and he does that even when we're not on. Yes. He just doesn't call me by my name. My name's Kathy, by the way. Yes, it is. Um, so With a C. With a C. Uh, so anyway, we, you know, Skyler came from Goodwill Hunting. I came up with that, but you agreed. Anyway... The suggestion for this movie was like a nice connection between Zen Parenting Radio. It's a good bridge. Because obviously we talk a lot about parenting and self-awareness and everything on that podcast. And then bringing it into one of our favorite movies. And as we started talking about this movie again, I could not believe how many quotes from this movie that we say in everyday life. Yes, it's probably our most quoted movie, (laughs) I think, of all the movies. Because there's literally... 30 or 40 that get thrown in on a weekly basis. Well, and and the thing is, is, you know, someone listening to that will be like, what do you mean? Todd and I talk a lot in movie quotes. I think it's the way that if I were to get deep about it, I think that it's the way we protect ourselves and we're like less vulnerable Mm. in things that we say. So like, instead of saying like, um, like even you calling me sweetie pie is from a Brady Bunch. Brady Bunch episode. Like we talk in movie quotes if we have to say difficult things or if we're going to say something that, you know, maybe is like a heavy topic and right. we're trying to lessen it. Um, and I think a lot of people do that. I think, you know, it's, it's kind of our way of connecting without having to say the most vulnerable thing. Right. So anyway, this movie has a lot of our faith. So does somebody have to be really familiar with the movie to appreciate this podcast. Well, I don't, I mean... I would say it would help a lot more because we're not going to explain the movie. Right, but I don't... You know what I was going to do? I was going to pull up the trailer. Should I do that or no? I don't think so. Okay. You know what it is. It's Steve Martin. He's kind of the main character. Main protagonist. But there's four different storylines that are all interwoven together. So can I explain, just talk about the structure for a second of this movie? Part of the reason why I love this movie is because of what Todd just said. There's a bunch of different stories woven together. And obviously it's around one family. You know, it's like pre-modern family, right? Mm -hmm. Our, you know, the TV show Modern Family. You kind of have, you understand their individual families and then how they connect to each other. And that's exactly what parenthood is like. So... You kind of relate, maybe depending on what stage of life you're in, to one family more than the other. Like when you watched it the first time, so you were 17 because Todd's a year younger than me. It was somewhere between high school and college. So um, you were still in high school, 17, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the first time you saw it, can you remember which family? Like, was it so Steve's Steve Martin's family is a very typical traditional family. It's he and his wife, and they have three kids. And then there's um, Diane Weiss's family, which is she is divorced. She has a son and a daughter. And then there is Rick Moranis's family. It's he and his wife, and they have a little girl who's three or four. And then you have Larry, Mm -hmm. who kind of comes in at the end or in the middle. And cool, sweetie. And cool, of course, who we love. We love cool. And then um, then the mom and the dad, who are obviously the matriarch and the patriarch of the family. Um, am I missing anybody? Well, those are the main characters, but there's, you know, you got right. Keanu and all right. that stuff. You've got all the people that come in, but those are... So which family did you relate to the most? Do you remember? Uh, probably Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen's family, because yeah. it was... Although my family wasn't exactly normal, but it was the one that I yeah. most identified with. You yeah. know, three kids... And, you know, they seem to be pretty good parents, but as we can see in the movie, they're 
actually not that normal. Well, and that's, and I think that's the gist, there right? There is no normal. There is no normal. Yeah. Like one of the things that I appreciated about this movie, and I, I can't say that I appreciated it at 18, but as I've watched it over the years, is that it's a constant mm-hmm. chaotic joy-filled, then negative, then challenging, then happy experience. There's something very soothing about watching a movie that kind of captures something that is very true. Right. You know, and I think that as, uh, you know, I'm thinking now um, when we saw the movie, probably the first time we much more identified with like Martha Plimpton's character, right? She She and Keanu were our age. Right. And so we could relate to feeling like a parent who doesn't understand us, right? Yep. And now we are the parents and now our kids hopefully do a better job of understanding us than we did our parents. (laughs) Well, and you know, just on that note, Todd and I, for those of you who have never listened to Zen Parenting Radio, we have three daughters and we have... 16, 14... And 11. And 11. Yeah, one... And we have kind of brought them into this world of movies and I can't say that they love everything we've shown them, but they loved parenthood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we uh, strike out. Like we tried to show them Wayne's World. It did not. It did not translate. Didn't translate. Didn't translate to me either. Like think, I loved that movie when I was little, and then now as an adult, I'm like, that's just kind of a dumb movie. So wait a second. Now hold on. I I would still I would do a pop culturing show about Wayne's World. I don't know. I would have to like you know we'd have to negotiate that one. Todd, you and I still say so many quotes from that movie. Just because you use the quotes doesn't mean it's still a good movie. I know, but it to it, but the whole point of this show is us appreciating what we appreciate right and then talking about i would just say there's so many other movies out there to be had wayne's world would rank pretty far down all right so we're just focused on parenthood today so where do you want to begin um we could start with a quote um uh, you know one of our one of our favorite scenes um i could start throwing trivia at you about the movie itself throw me some trivia and then we'll kind of go first of all you remember that scene where keanu and martha plimpton are picking up the photos from the photo mat because <laughs> I guess that's a, something that didn't quite age well the photo mat well and you know what it's I love that because those of us who are over what 35 mm-hmm. we did do the photo mat or yeah. I did a drugstore yeah you know to go pick up my photos and the fact that you had to drop them off and wait a week mm-hmm. to like, get them exactly to them. like now we can print them off and, ourselves and remember but... like the photo mat building was like this little hut <laughs> yes. like located in the middle of like a parking lot like, yes I don't know it was just I think it a... said Kodak on it didn't yeah, it I don't know I don't know um so when he when um she, with her boyfriend, decided to take some pictures while they were fooling around. Uh-huh. And when she picked up the pictures, she realized it was pictures of her mom's celebration for getting a bank promotion. Yeah. So they rushed back right back to the photo mat and uh, f- say, no, this is the wrong Buckman. Can you get me the other pictures? And it turns out those were already picked up by <laughs> the mom. So the mom basically gets the pictures of her and her boyfriend fooling around. You're, picture this, your teenage daughter, and you see her naked or half naked with uh, her boyfriend. You can imagine how upsetting that might be. Well, and you know, that Todd, you know, we let Todd and I love the fact that in movies and in TV shows, the character Todd is not usually... Rarely the guy <laughs> that is the patriarch or the protagonist of the movie. And this one, it only has one D, T-O-D, yes, T-O-D. Todd. So Keanu Reeves I've is never Todd. trusted T-O-Ds, by the way. <laughs> and there's a Todd in Wedding Crashers. Yes. He's the brother. Yes, a little creepy. And then Bill Murray is Todd mm. with um, Gilda, Radner. Gilda Radner. And I mean, we could go on. Right. Like there's so many, like the character 
Todd usually doesn't represent. So the reason I bring that that part of the movie up is because Brian Grazer, who was like the producer with Ron mm-hmm. Howard, that's a true story that happened to Brian Grazer. Yes. So it's, I guess, you know, um, art imitating life in that fashion. This one's for my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ron Howard wanted to do a sequel to Parenthood. Did I know. you know that? Yes, I did. Um, they originally, and we've got this when we watched the behind the scenes thing, they originally wanted the Mary Steenburgen character to, um, get stoned every night. And you know, that didn't, that wouldn't have made, that wouldn't have translated at all to Mm -hmm. me, especially now. I don't know how I would have felt when I first saw it, but at this stage of parenting, that's not the kind of mom she was showing up. And she, and Mary Steenburgen is the one who pushed against it saying this, I don't see that there's no way that this mom who's kind of holding all the strings together and getting this family moving in a direction is getting stoned every night. She's like, I can do that character, but it's kind of a different movie. That's right. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and I thought that the, uh, the dad who pays the usher, you know, you don't even see the, at the beginning of the movie, the amalgam, the amalgam, uh, Steve Martin's character is young. So they kind of do a flash backwards Mm -hmm. and just that scene of like a dad thinking he's doing a good job by plopping his kid in the seat, Mm -hmm. paying an usher to watch after him. Like, what is Jason Robards going to do? Is he going to have beer or something? Well, I think he said he was going to go make a bet on something. Like he was going to go make a bet in inside a ball game. I think he's going, I don't know. What is he there? What is he doing? Well, again, here's where we have to get into generational things about parenting, right? From, so Jason Robards plays Steve's, Steve Martin's dad. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so his generation, even probably spending time with the kids or, you know, what, what Steve Martin explains in that moment is that on his birthday, every year, his dad brings him to a ball game. And as you said, he pays an usher to sit with him while he goes and does something else. In Jason Robard's mind, he probably was like, you're lucky I'm taking you to the ball game. Yeah, because my old man never took me to anything. Exactly. It's the continuous evolution of parenting. Exactly. But I still want to know what he did because my dad used to kind of do it. Now, my dad sometimes works security at Comiskey Park, which is where the White Sox played. Uh, but so even when he wasn't working, I still think that he would just like leave. And I don't understand what they would, what he would do. Like he's not leaving the stadium. I know. You know what? I really do believe that we have different levels in, and this probably still happens today. It definitely with some of my clients I, I speak with about, you know, how involved uh, the dad is. Mm-hmm. Um some dads really think just me being here or sh- or taking you here or driving you here, that's really all I'm going to do. I just specifically want to know where where they go. Right. Well, Are I, they going to drink? But honey, you this is a screenplay, so they're not trying to demonstrate what happens next. They're just trying to... I know. I just My curiosity got the best of me. I know. Well, I bet if we were to rewind that scene, he says something specific. I Doesn't think, he? I don't think he says anything specific. Oh, well. Um, so some other random facts. Um, do you know that this um, movie was awarded two Oscars? For what? Oh, for what? Do you want me to... You, yeah, I don't know. Uh, best Actress or Best Supporting Actress? Diane Wiest? She didn't get it for this movie. Oh, she was nominated? Mm-hmm. But she she won for Hannah and Her Sisters. Oh, because it also says Best Act... And may, maybe that my research is off? Well, maybe she was nominated, yeah. but she didn't win. Um, and then Best Music, Original Song. Oh. By... Uh, Randy Newman. What's the name of the song? I forget. Love to See You Smile. And he was thinking about Mary Steenburgen yeah. when he came up with that movie, with that song. She's good in that movie. She's, She's good, good in this movie. Um, Some other random facts... Martha Plimpton in real life dated Leaf Phoenix's older brother River. So yes, yeah, so in the movie, 
Martha Plimpton's brother mm-hmm. is a Leaf Phoenix, who's actually Joaquin Phoenix. Now he's Joaquin. Before yeah. he was Leaf. And her, she was dating River Phoenix. Don't you remember that time, the Martha Plimpton, River Phoenix, Keanu Reeves? Like they were all in like, like do you remember My Private Idaho? Do you remember that movie? No. That was Keanu and River. I think Keanu was there when River died. I know in somebody the Viper was with him. Um, it wasn't Johnny. No, Johnny Depp owned the Viper Room. Yeah. Is that right? I don't, but I think they were all kind of living in that bubble of teenage fame, yeah. you know, it's fame. like the pre- Rat Pack thing, exactly, or but pack. kind of a cooler, cooler version. <laughs> version yeah. Sweetie, right? there's no nobody cooler than Rob Lowe. Well, I love the Rat Pack or the Brat Pack, but like I, I'm not saying I don't think they're cool. But there's something a little more indie about you know. I'm waiting for a Saint Elmo's Fire Part Two. Are you? You always shoot that idea down. I think it'd be really interesting. Do I think the the most exciting part of their life or the most like confusing part about their life was that. After college time. Are you saying that the most interesting part of our life is the after college time and there's nothing interesting in our lives because we're like old and we like to go to bed early? But do you want to like see Wendy married with, well, actually that would be kind of interesting. Yeah. Or see if Billy made it on the sax. I don't think Billy made it. I don't think the sax is working for him anymore because nobody wants sax in their songs anymore. Didn't we just see that in Saturday Night Live or something? (laughs) It was in 30 Rock. 30 Rock. Um, okay, so and this is kind of a boring one, so I'm not going to say that okay. one. Uh, Helen Shaw, she's the actor actress who yep, played Grandma. Great Grandma. Mm-hmm. Um, her final, this was her final film before she, her death in September of '97. She uh-huh. died at 100. Wow. Do you know what other movie she was in that we've seen? I have no idea. Twilight Zone, the movie. Who is she? She was the one who's who uh, explained to whomever the game of kick the can. You got to even give me more info. Which there, story in Twilight, Twilight Zone, Zone? The movie. So it's when the the young people or the old people in the old folks' home. Oh yeah, yeah. Turn mm-hmm. young. Yep. And she was explaining what kick the can was. Okay, that's so random. I know. No it's one would ever know that. Because I researched it, sweetie. Yes. Okay. Um, blah blah blah. Do, do. There is two different TV series based upon this movie. Correct. One we all know was with Peter Krause, Lauren Graham, and Dax Shepard, which you loved. I loved that show. We should do one. We should do a pop culturing on that. The other one was from 1990. Ed Begley Jr. Who's Ed Begley? Yeah. Who is that? Uh, he's. You know, the thing I remember about Ed Begley Jr. If you pulled him up, you would know who it is. Yeah, he sounds familiar. He's a huge, like climate change activist. Like a, a he. He's always been oh, a yeah. part of Greenpeace. He's, he's the guy from um, Best in Show. He's, yeah. He's in the he's the hotel manager. Yes, he's sweet. Yes. He lets them stay in the closet. But Leo. <laughs> Leo DiCaprio was also in that TV show. In the original one? Parenthood of 1990. And it Um, was based on the movie. uh, And it was based on the movie. And then a few other things. Dan Aykroyd, Michael Keaton, Robin Williams, and Tom Hanks were considered for the role of Gil Buckman. Yeah, I could understand that. Who was Steve Martin's thing. They all said no. Yeah. I don't know. So are are all those people better than Steve Martin? No, no. I don't think they're better, but I think Tom Hanks could have... Rank those actors. Who would you most like to see in this role? Including Steve Martin, Dan Aykroyd, Michael Keaton, Robin Williams, Tom Hanks. Uh, not Robin Williams. Okay. Um, Tom Hanks, number one. Correct. Michael Keaton, number two. Correct. Uh, Dan Aykroyd, well, number three. Well, where's Steve Martin fitting in there? Well, I thought you said rank no, the other ones. No, include Steve. Well, he would be my number one because I I would rather him. see Tom Hanks. Really? Uh, you can't do that. because that change, you You would never even know how the... You, you can't be like, no, they would have been better because you... I, I just said they would. He, right. he would be better. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Dan Aykroyd would be the worst. Can we agree on that? 
No, Robin Williams would be the worst. Really? I love Robin Williams, but he he's what if either he went Dead Poet Society and he really did something. But that's with too it. serious. That's what I mean. Is you have to have this really nuanced balance. Um, there's this scene, at the, and I won't get. I know we're going to talk about scenes, but there's this scene. There's a few of them toward the end of the movie. Like when Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen are having arguments, two different arguments, where he has to go serious to funny, serious to funny. Like it's that is not easy. Mm. Like and you have to have I think you, and that's why Tom Hanks would have worked, too, because you already have to people already have to know you're funny yeah. so they can laugh at you. Do you know what I mean? Like if you brought in an unknown person, yeah. you know you know how there are certain people who come on stage who you just laugh even before they start speaking? Yes. And Steve Martin has that. Like you you trust him. I love Steve Martin, but if I were to rank these, I go Tom Hanks first, Michael Keaton second, Steve Martin third, then Robin Williams, then Dan Aykroyd. Well, we can, we can uh, disagree on that Jeff one. Jeff Goldblum turned down both roles for Gil Buckman and Larry Buckman. Sweetie, who's Larry? <laughs> Larry is, okay, so I want to like jump away from your trivia here for okay. a second and talk about one of my favorite, favorite scenes in this movie is when Larry is introduced. Because first of all, this scene is like the first time that the whole family's together. Yeah. Okay. So you get to kind of see, so you originally like kind of saw everybody separately and then this is everybody coming together. I have part of it queued up. Okay. Go ahead and play here it. Here we go. This is when um, he meets, he sees grandma. And I think he says grandma. Well, and let me just say this before you even start that part is that dad, Jason Robards, is super excited. And he's like, I've got a surprise for everybody. And yes. nobody knows what's about to happen. And then Larry walks in. Is this grandma? Yeah, she's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, grandma, you got short. I'm shrinking. Bummer. That's... That's how we're introduced to Larry. Um, do you want and me to- also the way that he, you can tell, okay, first of all, the, the first thing that happens in that scene, I think, or at the beginning, is Justin, Steve Martin's little guy, actually says, who's that? Yes. So that's like a good introduction to the fact that nobody, nobody knows, knows who, who Larry he is. He hasn't been around. He hasn't been around, and that Justin is too young to even know who he is. And then Steve Martin's reply to him is, that's your Uncle Larry. Don't give him any money. Right. So sometimes I love the way I, I've never been. A, I've never written a screenplay or anything, but I love the way people write Very to introduce way you to show you who this guy is. Exactly. Like in the first ten seconds. And just the fact that Jason Robards is so excited. So Dad's super excited, and all the siblings are kind of like, Oh, oh no. boy. Yes. The yes. black sheep. Is he the quintessential black sheep? He is. And but you kind of just the fact that he says, "Don't give him any money." He's not a black sheep because he's different or an artist or something. It's sounds like he doesn't make great choices. And just the fact that he hasn't been around, um, I'm just thinking of some of what he says to his sisters. Well, here's here's one thing that he says to his sister. About that. You stopped wearing your turban. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My God, Susan, you look great. If you weren't my sister. (laughs) So how creepy is that? He hugs his sister and (laughs) says, if you weren't my sister. And then he goes to his older sister, Diane Weist, and he's like, I know it's been hard. Yes. Um, so that whole scene, there's a few things that are happening that before even his son walks in, or no, she, they kind of do a lot of like, you know, shooting the camera on other people's faces mm. to just kind of see how everybody's responding. So right. it's kind of the first time where you see that three of the siblings are super close. I don't even think... Um, 
What's her? What's uh, Rick Moranis's name? I don't think he knows who he is either. No, he's like, who is that? I know. Yeah, but it's that's that might be a flaw. Yeah, right. It could be, and and maybe he. Let's see. He because he says it's been about three years. It's right here. Did he say cool? Cool. Your son. It's a long story. Oh, I thought that they had a conversation. So. so then once he's in the house for a little bit, then his son, Cool, uh, looks in the door and he's just this cutie little guy who you feel so bad for because he obviously, you know, Larry obviously told him to stay in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he was going to introduce him in a whenever he felt ready, but it's it's a moment. So this is his explanation of who Cool is at the <laughs> dinner table. This is one of my favorite quotes. Yes, mine too. Oh. See, a few years ago, I was living in Vegas with this girl, showgirl. She was in that show, Elvis on Ice. Anywho, we drifted apart as people do in these complicated times. And then a couple of months ago, she shows up with cool, tells me, you watch him. I shot someone. I have to leave the country. That's a parent? And that's parenting? (laughs) Oh, my God. So, yes, that's good old Larry. Larry is just well, a very important and dysfunctional human being. Well, and Larry is kind of the one in the movie that everybody kind of like, um, oh, it's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. What our issues are, because every every person in this movie is struggling with something. Yeah. And what Larry's struggling with is very significant. Yeah. Like Larry's the one who kind of demonstrates to you how someone can't like the irony of that's that you know quote that you just read about yeah. you know you watch him i shot someone i have to leave the country that's apparent and then here you have larry who's basically probably the only reason he came home yeah. was because he doesn't want to take care of cool yeah and yet he's just so he came home to borrow money and pawn off his son exactly and because to borrow money because he was he's in gambling debt yep you know, um, and so the it, I just think it's all relative compared to what everybody else is dealing with. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so do we want to go to best scene? OK, you tell me. So what is your like in this movie? What is the scene that you get most excited to watch? Um, do I have to pick one? Well, no, you can throw out a few. I'll tell you the most potent scene, the one that like hits my heartstrings, okay. is when Gary calls his dad oh, on the yeah. phone. Yeah, and uh, you see the the the, dis- the Joaquin Phoenix to come. Yeah, he's a. You could tell that this young man knows how to act. Yeah, and he calls his real dad at the office, and basically he gets rejected, yeah. and his poor mom Helen. Knows what's about to happen. Knows what's about to happen. I mean, it's just a very well acted scene. Well, like in a and from a, a parenting perspective, like I actually love that scene because she lets him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? She knows what's going to happen. You know, she tries to say, "You don't know your dad as well as I do." You know, she tries to kind of, you know, and part of the reason he wants to call. I mean, we, you know, there's a few things going on with Gary. Gary's going through puberty. Mm-hmm. He's. Um, masturbating Mm -hmm. and doesn't understand why he is Mm -hmm. and feels completely ashamed and embarrassed, doesn't want to talk to his mom about it. And no um, father figure, no father figure. And, uh, Keanu, 
uh, Todd has just moved in because he and Julie are together and that's a whole nother story. So he he's kind of like, you know, there's not enough room for me here. I want to be with my, I need a man mm-hmm. around. And so she does an, a beautiful job of, it's a good moment, even mm-hmm. though it doesn't turn out well, no. as like a parenting moment of like, she just allows him to do what he has to do. So that was one of my favorite. Give me one of your favorite scenes. Well, it, it's interesting because I, I realize that all my favorite scenes tend to be Diane Weist's family. Okay. Okay. So my <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is when she figures out that her, that so Gary carries this bag around and she doesn't know what's in it. She's worried it's drugs. So she finally busts into his room and then finds that they're all pornos. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're all these videotapes. So he, you know, kind of funny things happen there. And then she basically says to him, you know, do you want to talk to somebody? And he doesn't want to talk to her. And so they figure out, okay, why don't you talk to Todd? (laughs) He kind of busts in the door for a second and says, why don't you talk to Todd? And they have a really, you don't see their conversation, but Todd comes into the kitchen to explain to her. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Oh, thank you. This is my fave. no holds barred. Please. That is one messed up little dude. You sure we can talk straight? Um, a few months ago, Gary got his first boner. Okay, so stop right there, real quick. <laughs> Don't, like, little infant boys get erections? Well, sure, but I think what he means... What he means is he has dis- he found himself and he's now he was, masturbating. He was aroused. Yes. Right, because, of course, kids are getting... But they, they... Right, but that, that, you know, this is the part where I'm like, hold off. A second, like you know, it's you don't get your first erection when you're 12 right. years but old, but again, we have to you have to understand that there's a teenage boy trying to explain to her, right. and he's trying to because, right, he, as he says next, you know, do you know what that is? Here we go, you know what that is, if memory serves. Oh, great, anyway, since then, he's been uh, slapping the salami, no offense, no. Apparently, he's going for a world record. Chicken's burning. How far into this you want to go? I just want to tell you get to the end of what he's like. Oh! Oh! Damn. That looked good, too. Anyway, uh, he was afraid there was something wrong with him, you know? Like he was a pervert or something. I told him that's what little dudes do. Good. Yeah, that's. I know that this may sound like, oh, that's a great scene with all this movie, you know, with all the scenes in this movie. But there's something so it, it's watching Diane Weiss face because after he says, "That's what little dudes do," which Todd and I say all the time, "That's what little dudes do," then he said, and then he smiled, and she's like, "Gary smiled." Like there's something so what Todd just gave to her. This is a kid who has not cracked a smile in the entire yeah, movie. Gary has been like walking in and out, like, mm. you know, with his bag. And all of a sudden, with that one question and with with Todd in the movie having enough ability to just be like, no, you're normal. And again, this gets into kind of what Todd and I teach in our in our real lives. You know, we teach sex education to children and we also talk to parents about how to talk to kids about it. So just to have that, to realize how much that can shift Gary, because Gary's walking around thinking, 
I'm a total, you know, yeah. there's something wrong with me. And all he needed was a man to say, oh, no, that's what we do. Normalize everything. Normalize and validate. So now that scene, you don't you don't have to play more of it, but that scene goes on and oh, becomes I, a little more poignant. That's one of my favorite parts. And I oh, have okay. it queued up. Okay. And Go I ahead. think it's really important. So this is after she's grateful to him. And then he says this. I guess a boy Gary's age really needs a man around. Yeah. Well, mm. depends on the man. I had a man around. He used to wake me up in the morning by flicking lit cigarettes at my head. Hey, asshole, get up and make me breakfast. You know, Miss Buckman, you need a license to buy a dog or drive a car. Hell, you need a license to catch a fish. Don't let any butt-reaming asshole be a father. And how true is that? It's uh, it's beautifully written. Right? It's beautifully written. Like mm-hmm. the government says you got to do you got to take this class before you drive a boat or mm-hmm. this you need to fill out this paperwork before you get a dog. But anybody mm-hmm. could be a dad. And talk about formal training, none of us get any formal training about how to be a dad. And then the message that we give to society is you're just supposed to know. You're just intuitively supposed to know what to do. Well, and I think there's more intuition from the mom's, you know, like physical, uh, natural abilities. Now, wait a second. We talk about this on our show all the time, on our other podcasts, and I don't know if that's 100% true. Put it this way. It's beat out of us. That can be true. But the, the... truth that like women have the ability or the instinct and men We're don't. We're both That's born with true. it. Yes. Women are uh, nurtured along that path and the boys to men are, it's stomped out of us. The, their empathy, their ability to tap into Love, their own feelings. physical touch, yeah. everything. Yeah, it becomes something that they almost, and you know, if I remember correctly, Todd, uh, we did a show, a Zen parenting show once about the fact that when, when men become fathers, their testosterone level actually goes down Drops. a little bit because they need to attend to this kid who's here instead of make more kids exactly they need to reconnect so that's a very like uh john bender scene you know what i mean like in the breakfast club you know like where you have a father who literally physically harms you with you know and that and, and it makes you what i also love about that scene is that again it gives you new perspective on todd because here he is she's from the beginning of the movie, she hasn't liked him. Mm-hmm. You know, she's been like that Todd and right. she doesn't want her daughter dating him. And here he is, he's been a pretty nice kid, you know, and he's, and he demonstrates a lot of love for her daughter. And then he just, in his own roundabout way, was loving to Gary. And then she realizes that he, how horrible he was treated. Mm. So where does that come from that he's as kind as he is? I don't know. He found somebody. Yeah. You know. I know. So that that whole scene is one of my favorites. And we got you and I say, that looked good, too. Yes. All the time. Yes, we do. Um, so there is, you know, it, I just find that the most interesting person in this movie to me is Diane Weist. Oh, really? For sure. She's interesting. Mm. She's a great actress. I think she has some of the best lines, some of the best scenes. And she has, besides Larry, she has the most significant struggles. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Gil is, is, there's a moment in the movie where his career is in the crap house. He, he, he can barely make ends meet right now as it is. And he finds out that his wife is pregnant. True. He is 
an anxious man who's passing down his anxiety to his son. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot. That is a lot, but that's almost like a movie moment. Like, I quit my job and blah, blah, blah. Her situation on a daily basis is her husband left. Yeah. Um, she is raising a teenager who she would very much like to see go to college. She's and who seems to be separating from her in a major way. She is having to work full time. She is raising a son who won't talk to her, who she thinks might be having, you know, doing drugs. On top of that, their dad doesn't want anything to do with yeah, them. That's rough. You're right. And she is trying her best to maintain well, and, some and, dignity. So first of all, I agree with you. Second of all, like think of Jason Robard's character. Like yeah. he's the father. Yeah. And Larry basically drops off this big crap sandwich I know. and says, give me $26,000. Yeah. Otherwise, these gamblers are going to kill him. Right. I mean, he's such an unhealthy human being, but yet there's a, a, a scene in the movie where he and Steve, Jason Robards and Steve Martin are talking, and he's like, he's still my son, and I got to protect him. Well, and even there's kind of deeper scenes with, uh, what's that actor's name, Tom Hulse? Yes. Okay, so he plays Larry and uh, Jason Robards. They have a few scenes that are pretty, it, it demonstrates to you how he grew up. And he, okay, first of all, Larry's the youngest. Yep. And there was some kind of messaging that Jason Robards offered to his children that was something about being valuable or being important. Um, they don't really specify how he said it, but they all kind of felt they were lacking. Yeah. Like the expectation from their dad was pretty significant. And so there was something that, there was some messaging that Larry got, which was just get money and be famous or get money and make your mark or whatever it, yeah. it, it is. And get, get rich quick. Get rich quick. Make you, your mark. There's actually a scene where, you know, someone says to Larry, this isn't another get rich quick scheme, is well, it? Well, that's mom. That's that's his mom, who you barely hear from in the movie. Jason Robards, between the mom and the dad, Jason Robards gets all the lines. For sure. And he's a wonderful actor, but, you know, uh, whatever her name is. But after, hold on, after she says, this isn't another get rich quick scheme, um, Jason Robards actually says that's the best way to get rich. Right, so he's reinforcing he's that He's reinforcing. Same. So you understand that, again, let's think about this as parents. You know, you have no idea how impactful the language that you use with your children is or how you live your life. You know, this is on Zen Parenting, what we talk about all the time is role modeling and how you your kids don't learn by all your lectures necessarily, but they're learned by watching how you live and what you focus on the most, right. right? That's and so there's something about, you know, again, it's a screenplay. It's these are fictional characters, but there's something about Larry that you can tell he's just trying to keep up. Plus he's the youngest. That's so it. So he probably yeah. got ignored exactly. more because, you know, I mean you would hope that we treat each of our kids equally. Right. But the bottom line is we probably have a lot more pictures of our oldest daughter of as an infant than our youngest daughter. Sure. You know, it's just the natural way of things. Yeah, exactly. And being the oldest carries a certain amount of responsibilities and baggage and being in the middle and then being the youngest, like each one has their own birth ordery kind of nuanced challenge. Absolutely. Yeah. There and everybody has the right to say what their challenge is. Right. Meaning it's not like, oh, this is the worst or this is the best. Everybody has, like you said, every birth order carries its challenges. Um I have another um scene that's my favorite. What do you got? Okay. So it's it's my favorite because I think about it a lot when I talk to my own girls about things. There's this scene, um I don't think you'll have it pulled up, um, where 
it's at the end when Todd is drag racing, mm-hmm. you know, after hot, damn hot, um, when Gary is like all on board with Todd drag racing and Julie is not, that's his, you know, girlfriend or now wife. Um, and she, he gets into an accident and Diane Wiest is there and she says, come on, let's go. We got to go to the hospital with him. And Julie almost doesn't go because she's too overwhelmed. Again, she's like a 17-year-old girl. Her, you know, boyfriend or husband just got in this accident. I she's, got it right here. Do you really? I killed the car. We'll take care of it. Julie, come on. Let's go. I can't. What? I can't. This is too intense. I, this is, this no. is marriage. Now let's get in the truck. Good. So here's why. That, I'm so glad you have that scene. How'd you pull that up? Because I'm good. Okay. So why that's huge is in that moment, the camera focuses on Gary Mm -hmm. and Gary sees that his mom says that. So later on, he says to her, they're walking, you know, it's like after they get Todd to the hospital, they're walking and he says, you want to hear it? Are you kidding? If they're married. Oh my God. That was really cool. Yeah. Well, I give him six months, four if she cooks. You don't think they're going to make it? Well, you know, honey, the odds aren't good. And why'd you see all that? Why'd you try to keep them together? Well, because Julie wants Todd. Whatever you guys want, I want to get for you. That's the best I can do. Okay. So I love that scene. I mean, again, there's there's some humor in it, you know, for if she cooks, whatever. Yeah. There's some truth about the fact that when 18-year-olds get married... The odds are not good. The odds are not good. And I say this to my girls a lot when there is like, you know, Justin Bieber just got married and, you know, they'll be like, oh, but they've been together and they have a history and they're going to make it. And I don't say to my girls, oh, they'll never make it. I'm not like a, it's not like I'm hyper negative, but I say that I always think about her in that scene, like, you know, the odds are just not good. And, you know, Gary's question to her is then why don't you just break them up now? And that's not our role. That's not like they need to go through that experience on their own and learn from it on their own. You know, she tried to do as much as she could and, you know, to to have Julie go to college and to do a different thing, but she chose a different path. And so you, you know, it's like what we say on Zen Parenting all the time, you have your children's back. Mm. You don't always agree with what they're doing, especially, see, this is very different than having little kids, meaning once your kid is 18, yeah, you know, you can give your input, but really... It's not your life. It's not your your influence is compromised. When your kid is two, you have the utmost influence. Right. When your kid's eighteen, you you're lucky if you have any influence. So your role then becomes supportive, um, compassionate, mm-hmm. and demonstrating that you're there. And again, it doesn't mean you're doing the Larry thing and giving them money constantly or, or, or keeping them, you know, allowing them, enabling them to make poor choices. But it's a, it's a sweet moment of this is where Todd and Julie are. So I'm going to love them in this moment. Um, it's funny. I don't know where I heard this, but like, and I don't know what the dividing age is, but as a parent, you go from coach to cheerleader. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that there's some wisdom in there. Like, I don't know, like, does are you go from coach to cheerleader when they're 12 or when they're 15 or when they're eight? Like, I don't have that yet. And I don't, and you probably fluctuate between yes. the two, even when your kid is three or 13. 
Like sometimes you're the coach right. which you're, when you're giving instruction and sometimes you're the cheerleader. Well, and I even think when you're 25, sometimes you go to your parents or when you're 30 and say, I need support with this and they coach you. I remember when I thought I was going to go bankrupt because of some apartment buildings, I had to go to my mom to have her co-sign for my loan and I, I was married with kids. Yeah, yeah. I was an adult mm-hmm. and I still needed... I didn't need a cheerleader at that time. I needed a coach. I needed help. I yeah. needed real help. Right. 2007, baby. Yeah. I remember. Lehman was, Brothers crashed yes. and then so did everything else. Yes. It was uh, It was tough. And that's the thing is, is, you know, in those situations where our children are making choices that are difficult, we, we have, I mean, there's a bunch of different choices and it's all very nuanced, but we either turn our back and withhold our love mm-hmm. or we show up honestly about how we feel about it, which she has, and love, yeah. you know, and, and it's, I'm sure th- people could throw examples at me where like, well, you know, sometimes don't we have to do tough love and every situation is different, but I really like that moment. Okay. Um, should we go to another scene? It's up to you. Those, those are the ones, I mean, there's so many like. What about the, I hated you for that yeah, scene? Well, that's just a classic. That's, what is that scene? Can you set it up? So... Jason Robards comes to see Steve Martin because he's got a he's wondering if he should help Larry and give him the money and he goes to Steve Martin because he knows he's a good dad and he they kind of end up having this conversation where Jason Robards says to him Here we go. Okay. Years old. We thought you had polio. You know about that? Yeah, mom once said something. Yeah, well, for a week we didn't know. I hated you for that. What? I did. I did. I, I, I hated having to go through that. Caring. Worrying. Pain. It's not for me. Okay. And you know, it's not like that all ends when you're 18 or 21 or 41 or 61. It never, never ends. That's an interesting, that last quote is interesting. Yeah. Like, it kind of doesn't end. Never. Never. Yeah. I mean, that, and that is what relationship means. That's why family relationships are so interesting. And, and, you know, that's just a dumb word because it's beyond interesting, but they're, you know, your siblings, your parents, um, your grandparents, these are people that you know from the moment you're on earth, you, you come to earth and you have to negotiate that relationship the rest of your life. And by definition, as we get older, we change, right? So you have to figure out how to stay. This is true in marriage too, but in marriage, there's two different things going on. Number one, you're usually not meeting the person until you're an adult. And number two, there's something called divorce where people actually do choose to no longer be in relationship. Um, Now, I know that can happen in family too. You know, sometimes there are people who say, "I'm I'm not connected to certain people in my family anymore, but majority or typically... These are relationships we have to negotiate and that your child may end up getting, you know, being an adult and getting a job and they still are your child. Yeah. That never stops. And you never, you know, you never don't worry. And the reason why that scene is so powerful to me and then you can say for you is that I understand that statement of I hated you for that. 
because there are times it's it sounds so strong and harsh coming from him, which is the point. It's supposed to get our attention, but I've been annoyed before too. I've been annoyed at you, Todd, when you're struggling with something. That's your problem, sweetie. I don't do anything (laughs) annoying. Well, and I, you know, it's not like I'm annoyed at you literally, but I'm going through pain because of something about you. See, I I took the scene, I think you're right, but when I thought about that scene, I thought about something different. What? I thought about as, you know, Jason Robards is like, whatever, a 70-year-old man who was... His, his parents were probably in the depression or whatever Correct. and the healthy masculinity thing. And like, I don't want to have to feel anything. I just want to do, I just want to go to work, raise my kids. Don't make me feel anything. So I felt like it was more of like a, a masculinity thing. Like don't ever make me uh, feel anything because I don't like that feeling because our society has been pushing that out of me since I was born. Whereas you're more like, this is just a very typical parenting thing and it has nothing to do with manhood or masculinity. Well, and both are true. So the thing is, is that I'm doing a deep dive to understand what he means. Mm-hmm. You're you're having the experience of like, literally, he he's like, wait a second, I didn't sign up for this feeling yeah. thing. You know, like I'm, my job is to just take you to the ball game once on your birthday right. and then do the work and bring home the money. I And I think you're 100% right. But again, this is kind of what this podcast pop culturing is about. What do you? What is your personal experience with that character? Well, that's I, what art is, right? It is, and I can't relate to him at his age. I'm obviously not a man. I'm not a father. But that feeling, yeah, yeah. of I hated you mm-hmm. that you made me feel that. I think no matter who you are, you can relate to that. And I think if we asked Ron Howard, who directed the movie, or the writers, they'd be like, yep, it's of both. Of course, women, men, all of us. And it's also like the man thing that I said. Yes, so exactly. So like whatever you got out of yes. it is what it's meant. And them being the, the artists who created this would probably be like, sweet, I'm yes. so glad you two saw that scene differently. Yes. And that you got... And this is... I. I write, and this is another thing that's interesting about writing, is that sometimes I'll write a story or, you know, just an essay about something, and it's totally my experience. And sometimes you have those narcissistic moments of like, who the hell wants to read my experience that has nothing to do with anybody else? And then you realize that the only way people connect is through individual experience, Mm -hmm. that it's not about that they have to have the exact same lesson or the exact same, you know, um, characters, or it's not that it has to look identical. What shines through or what you feel is the emotion of the situation. Like I, I haven't been in the exact same situation you have, but I know that feeling Mm -hmm. that's true in writing. That's true in, you know, sometimes the characters we relate to are not the ones that are really like us. Right. Uh, we're going to switch gears okay. and go to the Kevin the Valedictorian, Valedictorian scene. <laughs> so uh, I'll set it up for you. Uh, Gil, Steve Martin, and his son, Kevin, who's in Little League, uh, Gil just gives him his son kind of a pep talk because he's scared to play second base. Yeah. And he feels very, Steve Martin feels very confident that he just gave the perfect lecture in the situation. So they do kind of this dream sequence flash forward of Kevin uh, graduating from high school or college. (laughs) I don't know what. And first I have to say before it starts, like Todd and I, uh, I can't, you know, whenever we watch this last he he's like this beautiful, tall yeah, man. Like right. everything about it makes you laugh. It is my great pleasure to introduce our valedictorian, Kevin Buckman.
Thank you. You know, when I was nine years old, I had kind of a rough time. A lot of people thought I was pretty mixed up. But there was one person who got me through it. He did everything right. And thanks to him, today, well, I'm the happiest, most confident, and most well-adjusted person in this world. Dad, I love you. You're the greatest. Oh, my God. Such good Here's lines. Here's the thing. Don't we as parents... That's exactly what we want our kids to say. He did everything say. right. <laughs> and now I'm the happiest, most, most well-adjusted. Well it's just, it's a perfect, like, um, when we do think, you know, I see people on, you know, social network, they'll, they'll always say things like, you know, parenting win. Mm -hmm. And it's this belief that we have that we just did something so extraordinary that we've set our kids up to be, mm -hmm. you know, to to be this, Kevin Buckman is the valedictorian. Well, and in the end, if you, you know, if we could first admit that we all have those feelings. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it's if I'm going to be completely honest, it's not so much about that your kid is well adjusted. It's because I now feel good about myself. That's what I mean. That's what parenting win is. A it's lot of all times. about me. I know. I feel as much good. as I love my three daughters. I need to make sure I feel good about how good of a job I'm doing. And, you know, we can misread a moment. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I have felt like this actually just happened the other night with one of our daughters. I felt like I had shared this story with her mm -hmm. that you're going to know what I'm talking about when I say this. I had shared the story with her that I thought was so impactful and that I had gotten my message across like, oh, I'm going to really share something vulnerable with her. And I shared and I was like, you know, we had a moment. And then just a couple of nights ago, she said, well, you shared with me this story and you told me how embarrassed you were. So I don't want to be embarrassed like that. Yeah. I was like, oh, wait, right. that wasn't the essence of the story I was trying to share. So sometimes we have a moment of we did something really well, mm -hmm. but how it translates is not always, you know, the case. So on this note, though, the next scene is the scene that I have an issue with. Yes. Because it does not hold up in 2019. Right. And do you want to explain what that is? So the experience in the movie, there is, so as Todd said, Kevin is afraid to play second base, but then Steve Martin gives him the good pep talk. He goes out there. Steve Martin's feeling good. But then Kevin drops a ball. And then Steve Martin has a flashback to now that he's dropped a ball what's going to happen to Kevin. And there was, uh, at, he, he ends up shooting people from a tower. Mm -hmm. Now in 1989, we didn't have any idea what was about to transpire in exactly. the next 30 years. And so there's some humor built around this scene about, you know, that he's trying to sing because diarrhea at the time to him. we could probably laugh at it because it happened probably a few times. And now sadly it happens way too often. And actually, that is actually based on something that did happen at a university. Yeah, University of Texas. Exactly. I, I watched that documentary. That's right. Creepy documentary. And so, like, we had had enough distance from it, or maybe as a country we hadn't talked about it as much, and it wasn't happening right, in schools. this was before Columbine. When did Columbine oh, yeah. happen? Columbine was um, in our... 20s, late 20s. So this was way before any of that. Yeah. So yeah, that's one of the things that does not translate does well not translate. to 2019. Mm -mm. I wrote a few other things that didn't translate well. well. in that moment, while we were watching it again recently, I didn't even like that. I mean, like there was nothing about that scene I wanted to see. Well, what's also interesting is along the same lines at the birthday party, at Kevin's birthday party, uh -huh. and Cowboy Gil shows up to save the day because yeah. the actual cowboy couldn't make it to the party. Yeah. So Steve, excuse me, Steve Martin's character takes over. Um, all the young 
boys have guns. Now they're squirt yeah. guns, but yeah. they look like real guns. Yeah. That would not happen today. Yeah. And they're all kind of chasing each other, squirting each other with a gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's your that's a good point. What else? Um the Rick Moranis, we haven't talked about Rick Moranis yet. Uh his character where he's talking uh, to his um grandma about how he's teaching his daughter about the Asian culture. Yeah. And he says the Oriental mind. The Oriental mind, yeah. And as yeah. far as I understand, Oriental means like carpet. Well, like it means a rug. things like, in yeah, the you Asian would, is, You would say yeah, the cultural. Asian mind mm-hmm. or the Chinese mind or the Japanese mind. Right. You would not say You'd the You'd be specific or- to the country. Yes. 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 So that was the other one. Um, the, Gil's boss smoking a cigarette after he walks on the treadmill. <laughs> Which is kind of funny to me. Like it's, it doesn't, you don't see that that much in movies anymore, but that's the humor is Dave's his name, Dave. He, that's the, he is a, uh, what's the word where, um, of course he works out and then smokes. And the other thing that's funny is he's working out in his work clothes. Yeah. Like, like his, what is he doing? He's, he's like, oh, he's pitting out. He's a, a tie. Yes. But that de- defines his character. He's two-faced, right? Yes. You know, like he's got two he's sides to both. him. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Rick Moranis' wife... Um, he, there's a scene where Rick Moranis is holding up his wife's diaphragm yeah. and pouring water through it. Uh-huh. So my first thing is, do do women still use diaphragms the way they did in 1989? Mm, probably not as much. I wouldn't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I'm sh- they're still out there. They're yeah. still on the market, but it's not like necessarily the go-to uh, birth, birth control. Because uh, Elaine did that in Seinfeld yeah. too. No, that was the sponge. Oh, that was a sponge? Uh-huh. No, she says my diaphragm. Well, and then there's a whole one about that. who's sponge worthy. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you remember the sponge? And then she goes out and buys all of them. Mm-mm. So the diaphragm is actually something that, yeah. Um, yeah, so you know what that is. It goes on the cervix. Exactly. Well, very nice. It's a little Tom. hat for the cervix. Yeah. and it, So nothing goes in there. They have a Sex in the City episode, too, about how Carrie gets her uh, diaphragm Sweetie, stuck, I, I believe. I know stuff. I know. But, in, but there's a sponge-worthy episode with... Um, Elaine, so they must talk about her birth control differently. I guess so. Um, I'm pulling up diaphragm Elaine because... Um, it pull up sponge Elaine. No, no, I'm pulling up mine, sweetie. Yeah, it's not right. Oh, it's a minute long. Well, it's kind of funny one. I was talking to this guy, you know, and I just happened to throw my purse on the sofa, and my diaphragm goes flying out. Okay. So I just froze, you know. Staring at my diaphragm, you know, it's just lying there. So then this woman, the one who sold me this hair thing, she grabbed it before the guy knows. All right. That is there, but if you look up Elaine Sponge, they'll that's a thing too. All right, let's see. Oh yes, Elaine Spongeworthy. Yeah. There you go. So you think you're sponge worthy? Yes, I think I'm sponge worthy. I think I'm very sponge worthy. <laughs> What is she talking about? The sponge is uh, also... It's a different birth control device? Exactly. And he's, she's interviewing this guy? So the sponge, is, the sponge that she has is going off the market. Oh, And okay. so she, like, is trying to round up as many as she can, but she's, like, realizing that they... You know, she's only going to use it yeah. if she really feels oh, like she wants it. to use it. So she's asking him, are you sponge worthy? I haven't seen that one. <laughs> um, and then the last thing that doesn't quite uh, fit in, nine, in 2019, at least for me... Is the uh, pinata? I'm sure that people still use pinatas. Oh all yeah, the time. I love pinatas. But it's such an interesting idea because we're going to put a blindfold on this kid, uh-huh. and we, we're going to give him like a broomstick uh-huh. without the broom end, uh-huh. and just start whacking it with a bunch of little kids yeah. in a circle. <laughs> it's not super safe, right? So, anyways, and I'm sure people still do it, and we never thought about it, and somehow we survived. But as an overprotective, sometimes worry-filled dad, I'm just like, why do we have to? 
you know, it's just, a, it's a recipe for disaster. It is. And then at the same time, how often was a kid getting hurt? Cause there was a pinata, like that's Good us question. being overprotective. Yeah. My niece and nephew who are now in their twenties uh, and then 19. Um, I remember they had things like that at their birthday party. Yeah. So that was a long time ago. I don't think we did, but now the pinata is like, that one is funny because they can't bust the thing open in the mm. movie. But now pinatas like typically have this thing that break from the bottom. Right. You know what I mean? Like you yeah, don't they, really they, have they've to. They've made it easier. Yeah. Whereas Steve Martin has the saw and he's trying to <laughs> hack through it. So the most important scene of the movie, I think, comes at the end. Yeah. So I'm going to play two parts to this scene. Um, should we set it up or should we just play it? Well, the only thing that I'll set up is that it is toward the end of the movie. There is... Uh, Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen have been kind of arguing, fighting about what they want to do next because she's pregnant. And that's actually a great scene too. you Mm. know, that let's have, let's have 12, call them donuts. You know, like there's a, uh, he's quit his job. He's already feels like he's messing up his kids and all of a sudden they're going to have another. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of already in a fight Mm -hmm. and he's thinking he needs to do things perfectly. She realizes that they don't need to do that. And then is this grandma? Yes. Okay. So then grandma comes in. Do a lot of things. I mean, Baseball's the least of it. And then all those things sometimes are going to miss. Sometimes they won't. Sometimes they will. Sometimes they will. will. What do you want me to give you? Guarantees? These are kids, not appliances. Life is messy. I I hate messy. It's it's so messy. You know, when I was 19, Grandpa took me on a roller coaster. Oh? (laughs) Up, down. Up, down. Oh, what a ride. What a great story. (laughs) I always wanted to go again. You know, it was just interesting to me that a ride could make me so, so frightened, so scared, so sick, so, so excited and, and so thrilled all together. Some didn't like it. They went on the merry-go-round. That just goes around. Nothing. I like the roller coaster. You get more out of it. Mm-hmm. And scene. So, I mean, talk about summarizing the entire movie. Right. I mean, we started this podcast by saying, you know, the thing that's great about this movie is that all these families, you're seeing how you literally go up, down, up, down. There's lovely moments, difficult moments. You think something's working. It's not. Then you have, a, you know, that is life. And I think that that is life for all of us, no matter what our age. But there's something about being a parent that makes that so abundantly clear that sometimes you miss the ball mm-hmm. and sometimes you catch it and you have an experience with both. Um, in, in, you know, not designed for the scene, but it's so funny how we kind of write off, write off our elderly mm, folks yeah. and she's not even in the scene. She's not in the room. She's mm-hmm. kind of off, but she's listening. She knows. And, and she goes ahead and gives probably the most wisdom in these, in this two hour movie. Right. And you just, I don't know, we count our, our, I, I feel like our society does not hold our elderly in as high of a regard as mm-hmm. they deserve. And they're we, the ones with all the life wisdom. Right. And we don't want it. It's so funny because even on the retreat I did with the guys, long story short, but um, 
we talked about certain isms that we have, racism, ageism, sexism, and one of the guys um, explored pretty deeply his ageism and how he gets really annoyed at some elderly people in his life. And I just think that that was, uh, it's just an interesting thing that we don't really talk about. Well, you and I had a, I don't know if you remember this, but just a couple of weeks ago, we had a conversation about this because we listened to a Hidden Brain podcast about how, how you know, the LGBTQ community, how there's been such more of an embracing of the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. in such a short amount of time. Now for people, when I say that, it, it, you know, I know we're still not all the way there and I know that, that there was so much work to be done, but they were relating it relatively to the other isms, yes. you know, our issue, like how things haven't moved that fast with racism or sexism even. And they, they, so they explored why that happened and that's kind of what the hidden brain is about. But one of the things they said that doesn't move at all is our ageism mm-hmm. issue meaning that we don't seem to be able to get beyond we're not our getting ageism? Much better at it. We're not getting much better. There's no signal that there, we're actually becoming more open. There's no evolution. There's no growth. And it's so yeah. interesting. I think of like dances with wolves and how the elderly are—they're the bosses, right? In our society, the middle-aged are the bosses. No, the the young ones are the bosses. The young ones drive our culture. Mm. The young ones is who everything yeah. gets marketed to. Yeah. So that's why it's so... Like even JC and I were having a conversation, she's my 16-year-old, about how weird it is that now some of the most famous people are even younger than her. Yeah. She's already having the experience of, wow, she was saying how, how it was so interesting when Stranger Things came out and Millie Bobby Brown became this huge thing. And she's like, she's two years younger than me. Like that's such a weird concept. But going back to the, um, the ageism thing, I think the reason, and I don't know this for a fact, they didn't say this on hidden brain, but my thought about that is, is because we all know we're going to be old Mm. and we're all afraid of it. And we're all afraid of death. And we're all afraid when we look at people who are elderly, they are us. Got it. So, so it reminds us of what we are going to become if we're lucky, if we're lucky. Exactly. Uh, But I think that's an interesting point that you just made in that the, um, that the kids are owning the world now more than they did when we were little kids. It was still about the grown-ups, the 30 or 40-year-old. And then Mark Zuckerberg comes around, mm, yeah. makes Facebook, and all of us grown-ups who were 10 or 15 or 20 years older than Mark Zuckerberg were at the mercy because we didn't understand how to code and how to make Facebook and all the big startups from a corporate standpoint. It's no longer IBM. It's Facebook. It's Uber. It's all these other younger generational startups. So I do think- You know what? And I agree with that. I can't deny that. But I would say that I think the younger generation has always been the ones that are being focused on. Todd, think about our teens and 20s. It was 16K. Candles, Breakfast Club, it was John Hughes, it was Ferris Bueller, it was, we are the market. Because if you get the young people, mm-hmm. everybody follows. Yeah. Now, your point, I totally understand, which is that things shifted as far as Corporations. like, exactly, yeah. you could be 20 years old. Yeah, well, and, they don't market movies to 47 no. year old men and women. Like We're trying. Us. I mean, there some are. They but market movies to who's going to go watch exactly. movies. Yep. And that's the teenagers. And who is going to influence it? Like mm-hmm. that's who are people following? Like James Charles, who our girls love. You, you know James Charles, right? I now know who he is, but I didn't know two weeks ago. I mean, he has... Mil- I mean, I know we can say a lot of people have millions of followers, but the amount of influence that guy has right now, yeah. like, and and this is, he's Sweetie, who is kid. James Charles? Not well, everybody knows who he is. He is a, um, there's, 
But the only way I can explain it is all the different things he's done. I would say he's a YouTuber who has a bazillion followers who does makeup. And he does, he, and he creates makeup and he's also a cover girl. I think he was the, and I, and I know I'm saying cover girl, but that's because it was for cover girl cosmetics. Mm -hmm. He was actually the first male Mm -hmm. to be used. And he, you know, he, and he knows all the other YouTubers. There's this whole like network of YouTubers and they're on each other's shows. Anyway, I'm learning all these things from my kids. Um, but anyway. So let's uh, finish this scene. Okay. Which I think is good. So back to Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen yeah. in the scene. A minute ago, I was really confused about life. And then grandma came in with her wonderful and affecting roller coaster story. And now everything's great again. I happen to like the roller coaster, okay? As far as I'm concerned, your grandmother is brilliant. Come on, Taylor. Come on, hurry up. Yeah, if she's so brilliant, how come she's sitting in our neighbor's car? <laughs> it's a great line. That's one of the scenes that I mean about how he has to go from serious to funny, from serious to funny. Yeah. And he's really even funny as grandma's talking because he has no patience mm-hmm. for it. He's like, oh, you know, but it is it is brilliant. And he knows it. And he knows that she's right. And he knows that he's got to, that his viewpoint is hurting everybody else's experience. So I have some questions for you, sweetie. Sure. Um, these are hypothetical. Okay. What do you think happens to Cool? Well, I, Cool lives, Larry leaves, and Cool ends up living with his grandparents. And I think he's embraced by that entire family and that growing up with all those cousins, he ends up being fine. Think he'll be okay? Yeah. What happens to Keanu and Martha? Um, I think that they break up, but they have a child together. Do you give them a year? Do you give them five years? How many years do you give them? I don't know. And, you know, who's to say, like, they could end up being best friends, but the fact that they, like, stay married and raise that child in a really traditional way, I mean, he didn't, you know, he was going to have a painting business, but then they stole all his stuff. (laughs) By the way, I agree with both of your first two answers. Who's your favorite, Justin, Taylor, or Kevin? Um, I love them all, but I love Justin. So do I. And then I love help, Taylor. Help, help. I love Taylor second. She's hilarious. I love Kevin too, though. Kevin Kevin has a big, great awareness in this movie. He's a sweetheart. Um, speaking of Taylor. Hi, Daddy. What's the matter, honey? You don't feel so good? Mm-mm. You feel like you want to throw up? Okay. Go! Gil. Oh, my God. Oh, Taylor, baby. Oh, sweetie. Oh. Gil, why are you just standing there? I'm waiting for her head to spin around. That's a great. The perfect is like, why are you just standing there? Like, go, like, it's such a mom thing, but we we spring into action so fast, and sometimes it takes way too long. Um, Kevin, does Kevin have an anxiety disorder? I think Kevin is struggling with anxiety, but I think, again, this is another thing that uh, in 2019 is so different. I don't think he's really that different than Mm -hmm. your average kid. And right now we know in 2019 that, you know, anxiety is skyrocketing. And by the way, for those of you who don't listen to Zen Parenting and are hearing this for the first time, I'm a therapist and Todd is a coach. And so our life revolves around I support women, Todd supports men, and we help people with parenting 
thing and their own self-awareness and mindfulness. And so that's why these things are so of interest to us. So what I was just about to say was anxiety is higher than it's ever been, especially with kids and teenagers. And a lot of that has to do with the way that we, you know, organize schooling and testing and, and the pressure that kids face. But I think that he was just a kid, you know, like think about what they said. The reason they were going to put him in a different special school, and I'm putting that in quotes, is because he would make faces, yeah. like anxious faces. Think yeah. about all the kids doing yeah. that. And so, again, it's a plot point, but I think Kevin's going to be just fine. Do you think uh, that his anxiousness is nature or nurture? I think it's both. I think that... Um, so yeah, he, it's a very, very safe answer. Well, Does it come I mean, from Steve Martin or does it come from his brain chemistry? Both, because where does Steve Martin's come from? I don't know. You I know, just, I, I think I think I think Steve Martin put it into him. Well, first of all, you can't you can't look at somebody who's struggling with something and say, I know where this came from. No, I'm guessing these are fictional characters, I understand. And he's seeing his dad be anxious and feel anxious. But there also may be something, you know, mm-hmm. there, there could be something. Yeah. Genetically, you never know. Um, a few issues that we talked about, um, a few more that I didn't get a chance to say. I'm not a fan of the chemistry between Rick Moranis and his wife. Yeah, it's not strong. Not strong, uh-huh. right? Well, there... Do you think it was a miscast? No, not Or do you think that was by design? Well, you're supposed to see them as very different. Yeah. Like she has that whole speech about when they met and yeah. everything. Um, you don't need to play it, no, but it's not that good. But, you know, they're supposed to be kind of different than each other. Um, and, you know, I, I know that this may not be popular, but I'm not the hugest Rick Moranis fan. Oh, you're not? No. Oh. No. Why not? I can't think of a thing that I've been like, yay, Rick Moranis. Have you ever seen Strange Brew, sweetie? Yes, I then, have. Then that's a good movie. Okay. That's what you need to know. Okay. Um... And then this is very, very small, but the way he carries Kevin upstairs after the ball game at the beginning of the movie, that's not how you carry your (laughs) young son up the stairs because he's carrying him like flat, flat, horizontal, and Kevin's head's going straight back. I know. Everybody knows that you put them up on your shoulder. Yeah. Maybe he was too big. Yeah. And maybe there's supposed to be something like that you're supposed to feel from that, Mm -hmm. like that he's doing his best to get him up. Do you have any best favorite quotes, sweetie, that we didn't already talk about? Well, I think we did all of our quotes. Um, I... I'm trying to, I'm looking at, you know, most <laughs> like the things that you and I say are like not deep quotes. Like mm-hmm. there's a scene where, um, you know, Jason Robards is showing Cool his car and he's like, what do you think? And Cool's like, it's good, mm-hmm. shiny. And Todd and I say that all the time. Now, yes. I, it's not a big quote. It's just a funny thing that he says. Um, but everything else I think has been covered. There's one quote that we haven't talked about uh-huh. that I think is important. What? Talk to me about shopping. Talk to me about shopping. Do you know what's happening? In that I scene? do. What's I happening do. when Steve Martin tells Mary Steenburgen to talk Well, to it's him? at the beginning and they are about to have sex probably. And they are right when they're in the middle of kissing, she stops and says, wait a second, will you go to this school meeting with me on Monday? And he's like, oh, I love it when you talk to, <laughs> they talk to me about shopping. Do, do, do you resonate with yeah. that? Yeah. Well, and it's funny because Todd and I have talked before about how women, and and this can be, maybe it's not true for men, I'll just speak about my experience, is that when you kind of slow down enough to get into that kind of experience, for a woman, her brain is like, there's so many things flying around because you've been kind of moving, 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 moving all day, that sometimes things just come into your head and you'll say them. Like, did you lock the door? Right. And you know, I have evidence of this in another movie. What? Do you know what movie I'm about to say? No, uh uh-uh. The Notebook. 
Oh yeah, yeah, that's a great scene. Gosling and Rachel McAdams, Rachel McAdams yeah. are about to have sex, and she starts asking them all these weird. But questions. at least it's about them. Like she, she's not like, oh, let's go to a school meeting. She's like, well, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? Right. And it's he's really... kind of like, I don't know. I know. I wish I could pull that up, but I won't be able to find. All right, it fast enough. I'm good. Um, you don't have anything else nope. that you want to say? All right, sweetie's ready to go. Yep. I had a few other things, but. That's all right. I'm ready to wrap it up. Um, let me go back to my theme music. So what's next week? Or what's not next week? The next podcast. What are we doing? Um, we are going to do A Star is Born. Yay. I know. So, and it's interesting because here, here we are talking about a movie from 1989 that we have seen a million and one times. And the next movie we're going to do, I've seen four times, which is still a lot. I've seen twice. Um, but I think it is one of those movies that there is a lot to learn about relationships. So next week is A Star is Born. So thank you for listening. Please share the show. Um, pop culturing. Give us a review. I don't know what else we should talk about here. Well, just subscribe. Subscribe. If you like this and if you um, are just stumbled across pop culturing and you don't know who we are, go subscribe to Zen Parenting Radio. We've been around for like eight years. You'll like that podcast too. We talk a lot about um, pop culture as well, but it's a little more deep around self-awareness and that kind of thing. That's right. Thanks for listening. See you guys in a week or two. Adios. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to Pop Culturing. If you love movies, music, and talking about pop culture like us, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, you will love Zen Parenting Radio, the podcast we've been doing for over eight years. Zen Parenting focuses on self-awareness, communication, and connection with some pop culture thrown in, and Pop Culturing focuses on pop culture with some self-awareness, communication, and connection thrown in. Listening to both will give you an ideal life balance. If you want to know more about Kathy and I, head over to ZenParentingRadio.com to get more information about our podcasts, events, and don't forget our annual Zen Parenting Conference in Chicago, and so much more. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the movies. I like that. See you at the movies. Thank you.